right now on the Ringer Gambling Feed and all throughout the entire month of August, the East Coast Bias Boys are getting you ready to bet the NFL this season. We're going through each and every single division and revealing our favorite futures, predicting division winners, and even giving you some award winners. Do we think the Kansas City Chiefs will repeat or will they be dethroned? Tune in now to find out on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome to the Ringers Philly Special. I'm Shiel Kapadia with ace producer Cliff Augustine. And today, thrilled to bring on my friend, Zach Berman from The Athletic, from Birds with Friends. ZB, you look like a man who is, what do you say, uh, ready to attack the next three days of training camp with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Isn't, isn't that your line, right? Well, that's Jim Harbaugh's line. And I actually <laughs> think uh, it was Jim Harbaugh's father's line. Uh, but I, I like the spirit behind it, so I've tried to use it, yes. There you go. We already have a, a shout-out to... So you know it's ZB's on when you already have a shout-out to Jim Harbaugh's father, and we've been on for like 30 seconds here. All right. We should call him Jack Harbaugh. He does have a name. Jack, Jack Harbaugh. Harbaugh. There, you name. Go. Yep, Jack, there we go. Jack Harbaugh. There you go. Now, the show today is going to be... You now, Zach, you came through in the clutch for me. I mean, I, I'll, I'll admit I got a little behind in my podcast planning, and I didn't think I was going to do a Philly special today, but then I'm like, I think today might be the best day because the Eagles have camp uh, the rest of the week. So I was like, let's do it before the string of three uh, practices start. Reached out and you said, what time? Let's do it. So, I mean, and I feel like even though we, I just reached out this morning, I've given you more information about what's to come for the show than Bo Wolf ever has. Am I accurate about that? I'm not going to get into the latter point there, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, you ask and I, uh, A, always happy, uh, happy to do anything for you. But genuinely, I learn when I speak to you. So uh, the rundown made me think about things that I should be thinking about. Conversation with you will allow me to think about it further. So this, this will help me cover the team better. So I, I was all for it. There you go. And this this will be a little home and home. You know, I'm going to jump back on uh, Birds with Friends at some point between now and week one. So, Bo, I know you're listening. Don't worry. We're going to have Bo on. My When I told my wife Zach's coming on, she's like, ooh, how's Bo? Gonna? And I'm like, no, no, we told Bo. Bo knows Bo's going to come on uh, another time. So, listen, every, everyone's aware of the sensitivity uh, there with Bo. Here's what we're doing today, CP. Eagles made some surprising roster moves, I thought, you know, just kind of when they came down, what they were at linebacker. So definitely want to get into those. Then we're going to play a little game for the second segment. 
And then because, as you know, we got to throw some nonsense in there. I had a little situation at uh, my favorite coffee shop this morning where I want your expertise about whether I handled it right, whether I should have done uh, something differently. So that's the rundown for today's show. It's not that complicated, but let's get to the news, ZB. Uh, Eagles signed two off-ball linebackers, Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham. They release 2020 third-round pick. Davion Taylor. So the linebacker room, at least the top of it right now, looks like Nicobe Dean, Miles Jack, Zach Cunningham, Nicholas Morrow, maybe throw Christian Ellis in there. I want to get to the specific players in a moment. But the first big question here is why do you think they made this move now? What does it say about the progress or lack thereof of a guy like Nicobe Dean or how they feel about a guy like Nicholas Morrow? Because this kind of caught me off guard that you signed two guys like this. The first, the first week of August here. It did not catch me off guard uh, in that Flex. I expected them to address linebacker. Linebacker was a concern this summer. Even to anyone watching, you could see this is the area of the, of the team that, that needed reinforcements. And, you know, there's an expression in our business, the time to build a source is before you need one. Well, mm. in, in, in football, the, the time to fix a problem is before it becomes one. Because if, if you're trying to fix a problem in October or November, it's much harder to do. I'm not saying Miles Jack or Zach Cunningham fix the issue, but it certainly gives them experienced players, better options. Uh, there is some more name appeal here, maybe than what the production might be this season. But the reality is these are guys who have significant starting experience they might be old in terms of miles. They're not old in terms of age. And the Eagles really didn't have many options. The part of the question you asked there was about N'Kobe Dean and what this says about him. I, I actually take the Eagles at their word that this doesn't indicate uh, concern about N'Kobe Dean. Now, N'Kobe Dean's hurt right now. He has an ankle injury, so he needs to get on the field. Uh, the, that's a big part of it. But, but I, I do think the Eagles are invested in making in in having Nicobe Dean as their top linebacker, the thing is you you need more than one, and this is the way the Eagles approach the position. They're not going to to invest significant money. They're not going to invest significant draft resources. They're going to take these lottery ticket type players, and they just did it sooner than doing it at cut down day or after the third preseason game. Yeah, you definitely feel better about the position than you did, you know, a week ago, two weeks mm -hmm. ago, three months ago, whatever. Like if they would have made these moves uh, right after that compensatory pick, uh, you know, period ended, then you'd be like, okay, that makes sense. Get, you know, like you said, throw a bunch of darts. Just the fact that it may, maybe just that it happened on the same day. It happened after N'Kobe Dean suffers a little bit of an injury that doesn't seem too serious, right? Nick Sirianni sort of indicated that he'll be back sometime soon. Is that right? Yes, I, I asked Nick about that on Sunday night, and, and he said they're expecting him. They don't want to put a timetable on it. They're expecting, they're not expecting it to be long. That said, an ankle injury is the type of injury that for a linebacker in particular, any position, but a, a position where you're running, you're always mindful of how that ankle heals. So with N'Kobe Dean, I kind of go back and forth here. I I'm with you that he's going to get every opportunity to prove himself. We know that, that it's in their best interest for him to just, if he's a competent off-ball linebacker who stays healthy and plays at like an okay level, I think that's, you know, that's a win. That that's really good, especially uh, this season. At the same time, I am kind of looking at the history a little bit and the fact that he slips to 83 in the draft. Eagles take Cam Jurgens over him. In the second round, he can't get on the field as a rookie, even though Kaiser White isn't exactly, you know, lighting the world on fire uh, in the second half of the season. And now a team that, like you mentioned, they take these dart throws at linebacker. But, you know, at this time uh, of the summer takes two dart throws when N'Kobe Dean has a little bit of an ankle injury. And when you've seen these guys now for what, seven practices in the summer that at least makes sort of the antennae. Is that right? That's, that's right. The antennae go up, uh, or are there multiple? No, I think I have two, one. Okay. There you go. So then it's antennae. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Antennae go up a little bit that I'm not saying they're, this, this move is because they're out on Nicobe Dean, but maybe they just feel like we need to maybe cover ourselves a little more than maybe we thought 
two weeks ago. Am I going too far or how do you kind of sort out um, that theory that I just laid out? I don't totally sell it, but okay. it's it's more when Dean's not on the field, it's very obvious. They don't have, I mean, much less competition. They don't really have adequate players to put in there. Uh, I don't think Nicholas Moro's played particularly well this summer at all. Christian Ellis has has some potential theoretically here, and he's made some plays, but you don't want to go into the season relying on Christian Ellis to be a big-time player for you. And, you know, Sean Bradley is, is fine as a special teams player. He, if, if they wanted him as a linebacker, he would have been a linebacker the past two seasons or past three seasons. So the way I see it, uh, Dean, oh, I don't want to say by default, but he, he hasn't done anything to, to lose his job yet. I don't think he played poorly. It was a very small sample size. And I think if, if you're not making a big investment in picks and you're not making a, a big investment in price, then really what you're doing is you're selling the same opportunity to both these guys. And you're saying, you're saying one or both of you can play. Here's the chance. Uh, so, no, I, I don't think this says as much about Dean as it does about Morrow and the rest of the linebacker group. Yeah, that's true. Maybe, maybe Dean goes down and they look at it and go, oh, okay, if this were to happen in week four, shoot, we, we can't put two, we don't have two linebackers that we like enough to be out there, especially like these two, like Nicholas Morrow was supposed to be the guy that these two guys potentially could be. Not, not to say he can't be, but maybe they're not totally convinced of that uh, at this point in the summer. All right, let's get to the two players. My, when I saw Miles Jack, I'm just like, this is right down ZB's alley. Like, you know, decorated <laughs> yeah. college player, versatile. We can throw a little positionless football out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, gr- great athlete. Uh, I would assume of the two guys, he's the guy you're, you know, you think Eagles fans should be a little more excited about, right? Well, you know my type. I'll say that. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll wear this on the chin as well in that. I did look it up. I, I put into into the Twitter search field yesterday um, uh, my handle and Miles Jack, and I found from a radio interview in 2016, uh, I was quoted on radio as saying Miles Jack's the best player in the draft. So, um, so clearly, I have a type. Uh, now that said, there's there's what seven year sample size here, or six year sample size of of seeing him play. And early in his career in Jacksonville, he was he was legitimately good. That's that's why he got a fifty seven million dollar contract. He he has not been the same player these past two years. You can kind of absolve him of the Urban Meyer year, not of the Pittsburgh year last year. Uh, yeah. So there's there's a reason why he was still on the street. But there is talent there. In well, well, there is the athletic the, uh, the athletic traits certainly um to be a productive off-ball linebacker especially if the defensive line is playing the way you want it to be i think zach cunningham probably has more theoretical appeal in terms of uh he's he's bigger he's longer i mean i think when he came out of vandy he was measured at 34 plus inch arms and i didn't remember that at all zb when i was just preparing for this i was like well, you know, I looked up the mock draftable spider chair, 6'3", 234 with yeah. 34 and 3 eighth inch arms for, uh, so if you're, if you're not a sicko and are just like, how do you, you need to contextualize that? I don't go around measuring, uh, people's arms. That's, that's like long for like an, that's like for yeah. an offensive tackle. That's like, you know, above average, uh, arm months. So yeah. Those measurables, uh, surprised me and, and were a little bit of a reminder that I had forgotten about. Now, even with that, that length, my understanding, and I'll, I'll defer to you on, on this, but. Um, but he he was never a an outstanding pass defender, but he's been a prolific yeah. tackler. Uh, yeah. and, and so that's what he was at, at Vandy. That's what he was with the Texans. It was a bit of a surprise when the Texans cut him. Again, it was a, a messed up situation there in, in Houston. He catches on with Tennessee. M- he missed most of last year with an injury. So it's a similar situation. You're you're going based on name appeal. Both these guys are in their mid twenties. It's not like signing or their late twenties, rather. It's not like signing someone who's thirty four years old. But there are but there's injury history with both of them. In Miles Jack's case, that injury history has followed has followed him since UCLA. It's the reason why he slipped to the second round. But he he hasn't been you know like an Iron Man. But he hasn't been so injury prone that 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 he misses half the games every year. So. Some of that might be, you know, I was reading an old uh, Jeremiah Trotter story the other day where he was taking a physical in Cincinnati 
And he's like, don't even give me the MRI. I'm, 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 I'm going to fail it. But, <laughs> but uh, look Jeez. at the tape. That's, that, that's all you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was surprised too with Jack. Like, like I said, it started 95 games. He started 13 games last year. He really hasn't missed a lot of time in his career. Now, he was playing with a groin injury uh, last year. So we kind of play, played through that. So that's something that doesn't get factored in uh, with games played. But like you mentioned, 28 years old. Um, you know, 36th overall pick in 2016. What's interesting is he signed like a legit deal last offseason with the Steelers. Jaguars mm-hmm. released him. Steelers signed. He signed a two-year, $16 million deal with the Steelers. Like that, that's what what did TJ Edwards, I think, got less than that uh on the open market this past offseason. So, like that's uh that's a team saying we really like this player. Uh he only makes eight million of that and then gets released. After one season, and the Steelers totally, you know, reshape uh, their inside linebacker group. So they obviously weren't thrilled with the way he played last year and thought that they could get more for less money for, for less money there, but has had a hundred plus tackles in three straight seasons. How about this? Last three seasons, Zach, 353 tackles, ranks 10th in the entire mm. NFL. So um, yeah, he has been uh, a productive player, has missed more than two games just once in his entire career. So, uh, you're right there. Like the injury, sometimes the injury label follows the guy and I'm not saying that's a non-factor cause that's probably has affected his play and he's, and he's fought through stuff, no doubt about it. But just in terms of, is he on the field or is he not on the field? Most of the time he's been on the field there. So, um, I think it's a pretty, I, I think, like you said, it's a word there's no like, what are they doing here with these signings? I mean, there's no real, I, I, we haven't seen the exact money. I doubt it's big time money. I would imagine that uh, there's some upside in terms of maybe you get a competent starter and the downside is going to be relatively minimal given that these guys are on the street and didn't have jobs uh, on August 6th. Like they, they, there was not huge demand for them. All right. Where do you know where Miles Jack went to high school? You're, you're like a whiz with this. So I don't know if you know that one or not. Let's see. Let, let's do a little uh, ask the berm here. <laughs> so I believe he was born in Arizona. And did he grow up in Seattle? Is that wow, right? This guy uh, is just a machine. Because, because I believe, I believe, and it's been a few years here, but Jim Mora was with the Seahawks when he was in high school, goes to UCLA. And I think that might have been the connection that brought him down to uh to to UCLA. Is that correct? Incredible. You nailed it. Bellevue High School, which is okay. uh, a ta- town, was a town over from me in Kirkland. Passed it uh, every day on the way to the VMAC in Renton. Probably a 15-minute drive to the Seahawks uh, practice facility. I would say nice Whole Foods in that town. Nice kind of town center mall type thing in there. Uh, a Microsoft office in Bellevue. A Concur. Do you, do you, do you use con- Concur? For the expenses? At, at, at no? a former employer. Not at, at the, a former at, employer. Yeah. Okay. At, at, at the Inquirer. Her office, yeah. uh, John Schneider's annual charity event to, uh, to re- autism research. Uh, mm-hmm. That was also held in Bellevue. So yeah, I just, you know, I knew you would know where he went to high school because I know you too well to know, like, that's obviously somewhere uh, in that brain of yours. So I thought I would give you uh, some Bellevue knowledge. And by the way, I mean, to, to call him a positionless player coming out of college, that that doesn't even do justice. He was, I believe, <laughs> the the Pac-10, Pac-12, I, it might have been Pac-10 at the time, but offensive rookie of the year and I think defensive rookie of the year there. But he was an wow. amazing running back at UCLA yeah. as well. Uh, and I get I get knocked on by uh, Bo, my co-host, and, and even you, and I worked with you. <laughs> about the positionless thing. My view is is you can't teach traits, right? You can you can teach someone how to play a certain role. You can't teach someone athletic traits. And I I also think that sometimes trying to confine someone into antiquated position uh it, it well, into positions can be an antiquated concept, right? Put your best players on the field and figure out how to maximize them within your scheme. Don't just say like, okay, this is the way a linebacker is supposed to play because I was taught this 30 years ago. I actually think that's a very interesting discussion as it pertains to the 2023 Eagles. I want to get into it in the next segment with one of the questions uh, I have for you. So let, let's put a, a pin in that yeah. and come back to it. Uh, can I tell you the funniest? Uh, I found some like very funny things doing the Zach Cunningham uh, research here, Zach. 
Uh, so the, the Texans, I don't know if you, you probably found these same quotes. Uh, so the Texans released Zach Cunningham under David Culley. It was like a surprise yep. move. They put him on waivers and like they thought that he would get claimed. He doesn't get claimed until the Titans. They thought the Titans had like no chance. They're obviously in the same division. They thought the Titans had no chance of claiming him. Everyone else passes on him. He signs with the Titans and they're like, shoot, that's not what we were, you know, uh, really hoping for. But David Culley's quote was, Zach wasn't doing the things in our culture we wanted done, uh, which I always think is interesting. I don't know exactly what that Texans culture was. But then this, this was funny. I don't know that I've heard a coach say this. He said, quote, the move to, re-, he was asked if it was like a tough decision to release Zach Cunningham. And he said, it was, quote, wasn't tough at all. It wasn't tough at all to to make that decision to release Zach Cunningham. So uh, shout out to David Culley. That's a nice quote. There weren't really any specifics that I found, but I would imagine that's something you'll be keeping your eye on with kind of locker room fit and, you know, what type of, how does this guy kind of mesh with the other players here, given Nick Sirianni and the connection and it's a veteran group and they're they're trying to win a Super Bowl. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on, I think, with Zach Cunningham. Yes. Now he did receive a, a huge contract extension there, and he did. So, so sometimes it's <laughs> it's like a new regime comes in and says, "This is what our culture is going to be." And players from the previous team are like, "Wait, <laughs> wait, I'm, we didn't sign I've up been, for this." Yeah, I've been here. <laughs> you paid me. Now you're telling me that you're, you know, right? So, uh, so I'm I'm always skeptical when when someone else comes in and and says like, "You don't belong in my culture." Uh, when, when that person was, was well-established and well-regarded before. So curious to see how, how that materializes. Especially when there's no evidence that that was a strong yes. culture or a culture worth uh, actually uh, fitting into. But yeah, from 2018 to 2020, like you mentioned, a tackle machine was fifth in the NFL with 405 tackles uh, from those three seasons. And, and I, I'm not going to pretend that I've grinded the Zach Cunningham film, but my understanding is the same as yours, that despite sort of the body type where you would say, oh, that's kind of like a Fred Warner body type. Mm-hmm. He's actually more of a, you know, a downhill thumper tackle machine uh, type linebacker than somebody. I, I don't think either of these guys, I don't, you know, maybe at some point they were, but neither of them recently have been great in coverage. So we'll see uh, what kind of roles they fit into. Cunningham had an elbow issue that landed him on IR twice last season. He only played in six games for the Titans. My quick Zach Cunningham like background thing here is he was he's from Alabama. Okay, so so he's in the the backyard of these great SEC programs who should have their borders locked down. And he's under-recruited. He goes to Vanderbilt, and he, and he becomes the best linebacker in the SEC, one of the best linebackers in the country. So that was always like the story on him, similar to Jordan Matthews almost, where uh, someone who, who slips through the cracks goes to Vandy uh, from Alabama and emerges into a big-time SEC player. Jordan Matthews, so I assume Elliot Shore Parks is going to be a, a big Zach Cunningham fan. Cool. Yeah, hopefully he'll pass on yeah. the words. Yeah. There you go. He'll pass it on. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and play a game with ZB. We are back on the Ringers Philly special. Shield Kapadia joined by Zach Berman. All right, this is a very simple game. There are no bird puns. I was like, I, I, I'm giving him like five hours notice. I don't want this to be anything he has to put a lot of research into. Just got a thoughts he has weighing on his mind. From training camp, uh, it's called. I'm, I'm yeah. kind of like a, a traveler who goes to a different country right now that speaks a different <laughs> language, where I, I don't totally know how to. I don't totally know how to communicate in this world, right? Like, um, there, <laughs> there, there are no bird puns here. I, I understand the premise of the game here. I, I don't have to think on one hand how to answer the question, and on the other hand, how am I embarrassing myself to some game theorist professor somewhere? So, uh, yeah, this is this is wonderful. No game theory. This is, this is going to be straightforward, very simple to you. It's called if the season started tomorrow. So this is, hey, okay. we're seven practices in. I want to give you the flexibility where in three weeks from now, if you, if you change your mind on something, it's not like, well, you said this three weeks ago. This is what do you think right now if they had to play a game? And I think I know the answer to the first one, which I feel like I've asked 
uh, every guest we've had on this summer and there are very differing opinions. I think I am on uh, your side with this one. But if the season started tomorrow, which running back, Zach, would lead the team in snaps and in touches? Now, if you have two different answers, that's fine. But if, if you have the same guy, uh, then that's fine also. DeAndre Swift. And I know there are uh, Rashad Penny stands out there. I know there are Kenny Gainwell stands out there. The Eagles acquired DeAndre Swift for a reason. Swift was not a flyer. Swift was someone acquired with intent. He is catching the ball so well on the practice field. He is uh, a threat to run the ball. We've seen that. Look at week one film last year against the Eagles, the first drive of that game. He's dynamic. He's in a contract year. He's healthy. There are a lot of variables in place to be bullish on DeAndre Swift. I've said it elsewhere. I would buy DeAndre Swift's stock. I think he's going to be the top running back on the team this season. I agree with you. And I, I feel like uh, Eagles, podcasters, writers, whoever, fans uh, are pretty split on this. I know there's a, a Kenny Gainwell faction out there. Uh, I think Rashad Penny, just based on talent, is probably the best running back on the team. I'm just it would be hard pressed, you know, I'd be hard pressed to think he could stay healthy for an extended period of time where he would be the answer to this question. And I think you just look at Swift, his situation last year compared to his situation this year. I mean, it's so different that that Lions offensive line had injuries uh, last year. It's one of the probably top five offensive lines in the NFL going into this year. But last year, I think it was one of the five most injured offensive lines. He didn't have a, a quarterback who was going to be a threat in the run game. This is just such a different situation where I look at his numbers and I go, all right, they weren't that great with Detroit, but this is just such a favorable situation for a running back. And like you mentioned, a, a big career opportunity for Swift. Contract year, 24 years old, gonna you know be playing for what we think is going to be a really good team. So yeah, I think Swift is going to, uh, again, they're all going to get carries. It's going to be running back by committee. But if I'm saying who's the leader there, uh, I agree with you that it's going to be DeAndre Swift. All right. Next question. Which offensive linemen are active on game day and what are their roles? Now, this is like a, you're saying, why are you asking me? Like, this is a very in the weeds type question. I, you just go through this exercise where you say, how could the season go sideways uh, for the Eagles? And I'm just thinking, all right, if they lose one of those tackles for an extended period of time, what does it look like? So as someone who has been to every training camp practice and, yeah. and watched all of this and thought about this, I wanted to get your insight uh, to that question with the offensive line depth. Well, first off, I'll, I'll say the premise of the question is absolutely correct because it's, it's the way they think in that building. I mean, one thing they take pride on is that they haven't had these sustained blips, if you will, right? When they have these, this bad season, they recover quickly. And they'll say their bad seasons, that, that, that the really bad ones, when they've bottomed out, so 2012 and 2020, it's been because they've had just all, the offensive line been, has been decimated. They've, they've had injuries across the board, and they haven't been able to, they, they were not able to have the offensive line they wanted. So you're absolutely correct in wondering this. And... It is not as easy a question as it's been in past years. I think, well, you know, Jack Driscoll's going to be up, all right? Jack Driscoll's a backup. I think Tyler Steen is going to be one of the top backups, and, and he can play right guard. They're getting him ready to play left tackle this summer as well. Uh, I, I think he'll probably get some work at right tackle, but that's where they like Driscoll. Um, and then the, the, the third one is up in the air because I think it's guys who might not be on the 53, but but who are in camp, and that is Dennis Kelly or Josh Andrews. And uh, both of these are vested veterans who the Eagles can sign and then put on their practice squad and then elevate. And so when you're talking about week one, that's, that's, that's my guess. I don't think either one makes the 53, but I think either are options. And it simply comes down to uh, do they feel that Steen can be a left tackle for them or Driscoll can be a left tackle for them? And if that's the case, then I think you go with Andrews to have some security at backup center and, uh, and you don't have to move Cam Jurgens over should something happen to Jason Kelsey. If, if you believe that, that Kelly's your best option as the backup left tackle and that if something were to happen to Kelsey, you slide Jurgens over to center, put Jack Driscoll in at right guard, and that's your best combination, 
then I I would go then I think Kelly's the answer over over Andrews. So it's one or the other there, depending upon if you think Steen can be your left tackle or if you think you need Kelly as your left tackle. All right. So the season starts tomorrow. Uh, first possession of the game, Jordan Mailata suffers an injury where he's not out for the season, but he's going to miss some time. Who is the left tackle for the Eagles? And same question on the right side with Lane Johnson. I think Jack Driscoll is the right tackle. I think Jack Driscoll is the right tackle. I would say at this point, Dennis Kelly is the left tackle, but Mm. I really think I I would not sleep on Tyler Steen there. Uh, I I know that there have been some people who've been surprised that Stoutland, Jeff Stoutland's playing him at right guard and left tackle. Tyler Steen was the starting left tackle at Alabama last year. The four left tackles who started before him were all first round picks. Uh, So, to, to, to be Nick Saban's left tackle, it takes something, right? Um, and yeah. I, I think that there's a reason why they're preparing him to play left tackle as as well. So it's just a race against the clock there. Dennis Kelly has more experience. If something were to happen, you'd probably feel more comfortable right now with Kelly. But if Steen shows enough in the preseason, it could be Steen. Yeah, it's a question we haven't had to answer in a while. You had Halapula Vadi Vaitai, uh, who Zach famously, when I when I was on the beat, I saw Zach passing him uh, in the locker room, you know, calling him Halapula Vadi. And I said, yeah, you know, that that's his name. Everybody should learn how to say his name. If he tells you call him Big V, you call him Big V. But that's what I knew. I mean, Zach, you, you leave no stone unturned with that kind of thing. Well, the irony is I'm very bad at pronunciations as it is. I, I specifically <laughs> learned how to do that, how, how, this, how to say Halapulavati. And I, I do believe you should. I, I feel odd calling someone by their nickname until mm. they tell you to call someone by their nickname. Even I agree with that. Even like Brandon Graham, someone who I've, I've known now for 12 years. We were on a conference call with him yesterday and everyone's saying BG. And I, I still call him Brandon because like, I don't know if I'm at BG level with him, right? I, I, I call him Brandon. Uh, I remember my early on in my, in my time at, at, at the beat, I was the only one calling LaShawn McCoy LaShawn as opposed mm. to Shady. Just felt odd yeah. for me to call him Shady, you know? Uh, but I think that's I right. I don't think I was, I think I was with you. I don't think I was calling anyone by their, uh, nicknames no? in, uh, in press conferences. Now a question I've asked you a million times and I always forget, Hala Pulavati has brothers, right? Yeah, or what? Yes. And, 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 and what, are, what are the, what are their names? Uh, they're, they're much more conventional names. I mean, I, I don't want to get it wrong, but it might be like John and send something like that. <laughs> Halapulavati was, was named after, I believe his uncle. Uh, and what's interesting is that in Madden, I believe his rookie year, he was listed as Hal Vitae. And I mm. asked him if anyone calls him Hal. And <laughs> I remember this verbatim. He said, no, but you can call me Hal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he but you didn't call him Hal. I did not call him Hal. Um, but uh, <laughs> he gave me. It's it's like the song. You can call me Hal, right? So, That's right. Uh, yeah. So he gave me permission to call him Hal that year. There are just like you know five Zach Berman stories that I will just come back to every couple of years that I need reminders on, and and that is certainly uh, one of them. Halapulavati Vaitai now fighting uh, should have a starting spot or competing for a starting spot on that uh, Lions offensive line that's generating a lot of buzz. All right, next question: Who are the starting? linebackers if the season started tomorrow. Now, this one, I gave you a caveat. So I don't want you to say, well, Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham just got here. They don't know the defense. So let's assume it's like some alternate universe where a month has passed, but the season's still starting tomorrow. Uh, Who's on the field the most or who are the starting linebackers who are playing the most snaps uh, in week one against the New England Patriots? So N'Kobe Dean. And then perhaps sentiments getting in the way here, because I, I do think Zach Cunningham probably makes a little more sense, but I'm going with Miles Jack because I'm, I'm, I'm swinging for the fence and I like what he can do in pass coverage. And I think that this, even though the advanced numbers don't really bear out that he was good in that area during the past two years, I think the skill set plays there. And this is a defense that, that needs to be prepared to stop the pass. And so I'm going to go with Miles Jack. 
Yeah, there's always some noise there with linebacker coverage numbers, and like you, you know, are they they're probably playing a heavy percentage of zone, and so I think some of that uh, can be a little unfair for sure. Nicholas Morrow, no guaranteed money on his deal. Mm-hmm. Give me the percentage chances that Nicholas Morrow is on this team uh, in week one for the Eagles. After the two signings yesterday, I'm saying very unlikely. I'm going really okay. Yeah, I'm going 25 percent or or thereabouts. I would have put it higher before then, but if you're going with an experienced option, I think I think one or both of the players they signed yesterday makes more sense. A quick note on on Miles Jack. Sometimes this can be uh, weighted too much, but I do think it has merit here. The person who drafted him and signed him to the contract extension is Dave Caldwell, who mm, is in point. the Eagles building, who was with the team. This he's, he's high up in the org chart during training camp. He's in Philly, right? So, so he's in all these meetings. He's, he has Howie Roseman's ear, and I think he would have insight as to whether Miles Jack is, is shot or if Miles Jack can still play. So I, I think uh, that's probably a good resource in this situation. That's just like a classic Zach Berman nugget there. You know, I, I could have done an hour, two hours on Miles Jack, and there's no chance I would have remembered uh, that nugget that Dave Caldwell is with the organization and drafted him. That, that's, that's why you have a ZB on for those little nuggets. Yeah, I, so I was trying to answer this one for myself. Like, I almost wonder if it goes back to the discussion we were having, and it's some type of rotation where the snap count, like N'Kobe Dean plays the most snaps, but maybe Jack and Cunningham are rotating on and off depending on down and distance. Maybe Cunningham's out there more on early downs. Maybe Miles Jack is the guy in two minute and third down. So um, I don't know. But yeah, it feels like at least one of them's going to have a role on this defense uh, right away. All right. The question that's been thrown around, you've probably had to answer uh, 50 times so far. Starting safeties, uh, season starts tomorrow. Who do you got? So this one's actually changed since we arrived at, at, at training camp. Going into camp, mm. I said Terrell Edmonds and Sidney Brown. And today I'm saying Reed Blankenship and Sidney Brown. Just because Reed Blankenship is not coming off the field this this summer. And I, you know there, there has to be a reason for that. Again, there's a lot of time that... Uh, and you know, joint practices, preseason games, but I will weigh that heavily that he's been the top guy and I expect Sidney Brown to rise up the step chart. Uh, so I, I think after the, the, the Baltimore preseason game in those Cleveland joint practices, suddenly they'll mix Sidney Brown in with the ones. That's one where they have a vested interest in this player. Uh, they drafted him high. He was a red star player, which, which is significant in that organization. And I think they are, I think that the deck will be stacked in creating a situation for him to start. So if he's at all able, if if he knows what he's doing out there, I think he'll be the starter. Now, you and Bo were saying Terrell Edmonds was getting a little look at linebacker. Is that right? Did I hear that uh, correctly? Like when they had some injuries? Yeah, Terrell Edmonds and Nolan Smith too. And that's yeah. that's the thing is before they made this signing, I kept saying like, why not just just get your best guys on the field? And you think Nolan Smith has that athleticism and he has the intelligence, even if his long-term position is not off-ball linebacker, if it's a way to get your best guys on the field and, and he can fill that, that role, is he going to be much worse than Nicholas Morrow? But then obviously they go and they sign experienced players. But to answer your question succinctly, yes, they did uh, what I used to do in Madden, uh, which which was take the linebacker with a high strength number, which Terrell, which, which Terrell Edmonds always had, and move him to linebacker. Gotcha. Okay. I, I'm with you. Uh, I've, got, I've had Blankenship and Sidney Brown. I think Blankenship was probably, like, if Blankenship was like a second round pick, I feel like there would be probably be some more buzz and a, a, a better feeling among Eagles fans and everyone else. Cause I, I thought his play was good last year. Like there was the one Christian Watson touchdown. I mean, that was one play. Uh, Reed Blankenship wasn't someone anyone was talking about every time he started as like, man, Blankenship is a, you know, this guy's a liability out there when you're mm-hmm. playing safety and you were an undrafted uh, guy. Like there's something to be said about establishing that uh, baseline of competency and um, everything you guys have uh, written said about Sidney Brown um, leads me to believe that just 
kind of the whole organization is going to be pushing for him uh, to get on the field. That no one split about that guy, and uh, it just feels like there's going to be a time in mid-August where uh, you know there's going to be a report. Oh, Sydney, there he is, Sydney Brown's running yep. with the first team. That's kind of how it goes with rookies, where you say, "Wait, did I overrate the wh- how much they like this guy?" And then there comes a time uh, they kind of ease him in, and then all of a sudden they're running with the first team. So I am with you there. This one I'm interested about. Outside corner season starts tomorrow. Slayer Bradbury goes down. Who is who? Who is filling them? So I guess you would call this the fourth uh, fourth cornerback, but uh, has to be a guy who can play uh, on the outside, unless you think that would be Avante Maddox uh, sliding to the outside and and someone else maybe uh, playing the nickel. So two weeks ago, if we had this conversation, I would have said Gritty Williams. He he has the experience, he has the frame, he has the draft pedigree, and I thought he was signed to fill that role. He hasn't been good enough this summer, or at, or at least Josh Job has been better. And Josh Job. When, Bra- when Bradbury's been down, has been taking snaps with the one, was with the team last year, has the frame that they like. So I would go Josh Job in that spot. There you go. Josh Job. So uh, Zach, is Zach McPherson get a, a mention there or no? Or you no, think they're, they're viewing him more as a slot now. And okay. I, I think with the, the player worth watching is, is Keely Ringo, if Keely Ringo makes a push. But Ringo's been too inconsistent. Josh Job, it's similar to what you said about Reed Blankenship. If, if if you disregard where they were drafted and you you disregard anything you knew about the profile and you just looked at them on the field, Josh Job has played better this summer than any of those other uh, backup cornerbacks. Hmm. Interesting. So that group on the roster, we're talking Slay, Bradbury, Maddox, McJobe, McPherson, and one more. So we're and talking Ringo. either and, and Ringo. And, 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 and Ringo. Okay. Yep. So Greedy Williams potentially released if everybody else is healthy. Unless it's still early. It's seven practices, so we could get it together. But that's kind of how you see it right now. Yes. That yes, that is. Okay. And there's a, there's a chance that someone like a Mario Goodrich pushes McPherson, but I think the experience and the special teams value favors McPherson. I was reading one of the transcripts, and there was a surprise, a lot of Mario Goodrich questions. I thought yeah. in there, I thought, you know what, I should probably learn who this uh, who this guy is. If there are all these uh, questions about him, all right. Next one, Zach. Expectations for I think two guys who you like a lot: mm-hmm. Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter. Eagles lose Javon Hargrave. They've got young, talented, athletic bodies at defensive tackle. But what are your expectations for these guys, Davis in year two, Jalen Carter as a rookie in terms of role and production? So is this the season now or is this just week one? This is the season. Well, why don't you give me both? The season starts tomorrow. What do you think it's going to look like in week one? What do you think it'll look like the rest of the way? So if the season started tomorrow, I I think, you know, Davis is getting the second most snaps at D tackle, probably Davis and Cox. with with Carter and Milton Williams pushing. It's 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 more of an equal split after Cox among those three. Uh and by the end of the season, uh, I've been saying this and I feel strongly about it that I think Jalen Carter is going to be the best defensive tackle on the team. It's going to mm. it's, it's going to it reminds me a lot of the 2012 season which you were there for when going into the year Fletcher Cox was behind Colin Jenkins, behind Derek Landry uh and was kind of a rotational player. Had his flashes, but they were bringing him along. But the talent was clear. And then by the end of the year, it was like, this guy's the best defensive lineman they have. And I I think Jalen Carter, you'll see that as the year goes on. I know there's talk about needing to see more consistency, but the the flash plays when he's at his best, that's what jumps out to me. And then Jordan Davis, I like Jordan Davis more than some other people do. And I I, I still think that um, those tools are... When I say impossible to find, it's it's like unprecedented to find a player at his size with his athleticism. Um, and I think he's going to develop into more than a nose tackle this year, but he's still not going to be a prolific pass, you know, you know, a pass rusher. I think that's going to come more with time, but he will play more than just that nose tackle role this year. I would say I'm with you on Carter and I'm a little less bullish on Davis's role. I I okay. think 
I think he'll be more of an early down, still a run stuffer uh, type player now in four down fronts. Is he out there? I don't know. I know he's been out there uh, this summer. I don't know if that will continue into the season, but I think it'll be more of an early down art. If he can really disrupt the run this year, that's a nice step up. And I'm with you on Jalen Carter. I try to be guarded because he's a rookie and rookie defensive tackles typically don't have monster seasons. So I don't know that the numbers uh, are going to be big, but uh, if I were an Eagles fan, he would just be the guy I'm most excited about. I mean, I just think he has the upside when you talk about impact plays on third down uh, with the game on the line two-minute drill, whatever other team has a backup guard in there who can take advantage. Like He's the guy I look at and go, man, he could have days where he kind of wins you uh, possessions, wins you quarters, maybe wins you games. So um, yeah, I'm excited to watch him in the preseason, but uh, I I would generally agree with you there that my expectations just were high when they drafted him, that if the off-field stuff's good, if he's staying healthy, that he's just kind of too good of a player uh, to not have, uh, you know, at least uh, uh, for for rookie defensive tackle to have a legit impact. All right, Nolan Smith, this circles back uh, to the the question we had. Expectations for Nolan Smith for you um, as a rookie, and then I'll get to uh, get to what I'm talking about there. Yeah, so my expectations is that he he play he's the third or fourth edge rusher, depending on injuries, and he plays thirty percent of the snaps this year or so. Uh, he has flashes, and he's a, a fan favorite. And look, I get that the sack production wasn't there at Georgia. It's still, it, and people in the NFL front offices have forgotten more about this than I know. It still surprises me. I don't know that, if I agree with that. <laughs> that. That there were, what, 29 picks in the first round without Nolan Smith going off the board just based on the athletic ability is different. When you watch him, he moves differently. And the value of that position and what we've seen in recent years with guys like uh, Micah Parsons, with with guys like Hassan Reddick, with guys like Von Miller, that uh, if if you can move differently at that position, it's hard to block you. And that's that's what I've seen from Nolan Smith. He's going to take time to develop pass rush moves. But the athleticism is off the charts. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I was only out there for a couple of days, but just watching him, you're like, okay, you can see, you know, this is what it looked like at in college, and this is what it looks like in person. So with the whole positionless, versatile thing, I generally, uh, by the way, you famously predicted that the Eagles were going to draft Nolan Smith in the uh, first round. So uh, great, <laughs> thank great you job. For, thank I, you for I, saying I, that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to let that go without uh, mentioning it. But with the whole versatility, um, Swiss Army, I I think it's overrated for the most part because I I think like all right, they can do a bunch of different things, but what can they do at a high level? And I think that's where coaches and GMs and scouts get to say, "Well, this you can line this like how many times do you hear this guy can line up all over the place?" Okay, well, like is there a place where he's really good at, or is it just? He can do a lot of different things. I think so much of this comes down to coaching. And I think it's a very interesting Sean Desai question. And tell me if you agree with this or not. But it feels like he's trying more of that than maybe Jonathan Gannon did. Maybe even more than Jim Schwartz did. Like, I I don't don't think Jim Schwartz was a big, like, hey, let's move this guy around to three different spots. Um, From what I saw at practice, from what I've read and heard from you guys, it seems like they're more willing to do that. I mean, look at, you know, Nolan Smith has lined up on the defensive line at edge and at off-ball linebacker. Terrell Edmonds, you mentioned, got some looks uh, at linebacker and is obviously playing safety. Guys are, you know, whatever, playing different uh, sides at cornerback or inside, outside. It seems like there is more experimentation and might be a more of a philosophy and coaches differ on this. Good coaches differ on this, but more of a like, Hey, uh, to your, to what you said and what you think, if he's one of our best 11 players and a guy who's going to give the offense problems, then we need to find a way to get him on the field. We can't just sit him back as the fourth edge rusher and say, all right, if somebody gets injured, he plays or yeah, he'll play this number of snaps uh, a game because the other guys are better than him. Is that a fair assessment of how you've seen the approach we've kind of seen from Sean Desai this summer, or am I overstating it? I don't think you're overstating it. I think it's it's too soon to say that's the way they're thinking with Smith, uh, although there's evidence that suggests that's the case. Um, I don't know no one well enough to say this, but from what I have heard 
the key variable there is, the, or the variables I, I should say, is he is he he possesses the aptitude and the toughness to play these these different types of roles. So sometimes you have someone who who has the traits, but it's hard for them to, to to play three different spots, right? Because they're they're it's kind of that that jack of all trades, master of none type thing. And then there's there's sometimes where they just don't have the, I mean, toughness is a nebulous term, but maybe the physicality, that's a better word for it, to play a spot that that's unnatural for them. And you've seen him line up everywhere from 4-I to edge rusher uh, to off-ball linebacker, and that's because he he has those characteristics. So, no, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that, but similar to the conversation about Hassan Reddick, uh, eventually what you want him to be doing is running fast at the quarterback. Right, yeah, and, and I'm sure there will be times when he's doing that, but it could be, hey, where's he lined up when yeah, he's doing that? True. Is it a sim pressure with somebody dropping and him? It's, you know, like you may, you know, I think you wrote uh, that he's not Micah Parsons, but just kind of the way he moves. I mean, that Micah Parsons doesn't just, he can line up in yeah. one spot and win, but he's also been used uh, in different ways there uh, too. So yeah, Nolan Smith is undersized and athletic, but he's not a finesse player. Like he is a um, uh, a guy who plays with violence, plays bigger than his size, all those cliches. So that, it's, that continues to be a fun storyline to watch, even in the preseason, um, you know, assuming he gets some snaps. Uh, where is he lined up? Is it just at one spot or are they trying different things there to see uh, how he handles it? All right, last question. Season starts tomorrow. You have Bo, You have to go on the record with Bo Wolf on Birds with Friends mm-hmm. with your Eagles prediction. How many wins do they have? How does their season end? What is your answer at this point in time? Again, you could change this as the you know training camp in the preseason. We see how it plays out, how you're feeling the first week of September. But the first week of August, what do you think? I'd say 12 wins, somewhere between 11 and 13. So, so let's meet in the middle and go 12. <laughs> Uh, you know, and the, the odds say that they're the best team in the NFC. Talent wise, I think they're the best team in the NFC. I'm not buying into the, it's, it's, you know, you, you can't get back argument. Uh, the reason why it's hard to get back is because it's, it's simply hard to make the Super Bowl. Um, it's, it's not because of a Super Bowl hangover. It's because it's, it's hard to, it's hard to make it there. And the Eagles were fortunate last year to avoid major injuries that linger deep into the playoffs. And uh, you can't count on that this year. The other thing that is working against them is that uh, the Cowboys are really good. And the 49ers don't have that that same challenger in the division. Uh, as, as impressive as Seattle was last year, I still take Dallas over Seattle quite a bit. And, uh, and so you need, you know, I, I think it's important to win your division, uh, not just get there, but, but be home and your preference is to have the home field. I will go with the Eagles, um, making it to the Super Bowl and losing, um, because that's what Vegas says. And, you know, they have the second best odds going into the season. And, uh, I, I love like four or five teams in the AFC. And so, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll go with chalk here and say Eagles versus Chiefs, um, but uh, but I like the Bills. I really like the. I I I know we don't need to go down this this rabbit hole. I don't know why the Ravens aren't getting more love in in, in Super Bowl conversation, but uh, we can get that we can get to that at a different time. Um, that said, in the NFC, I think San Francisco is just loaded, and I think Dallas is a really tough team. So. Uh, I'll give the Eagles the edge because I like their quarterback situation over San Francisco's, but you know, it's, it's, I, I wouldn't bet on Eagles or San Francisco at this point. Like I would stay away from, from that bet because, uh, I have a real hard time forecasting that one. Yeah. I'm trying to find a sleeper in the NFC and it's just really hard this year to find a team other than those three where I'm like, yeah. Hey, if things fall right, this team could get there. Now, I'm wrong all the time. There certainly could be one, but uh, I've got the same. I, I've got them 11 and 6, and I've got them getting to the Super Bowl as well. Right now, I've got the Bengals as my uh, okay. as the team that beats them in the Super Bowl, but I think that very well could change depending on what we see from Burrow um, in the weeks uh, ahead. But I do like that Bengals team 
quite a bit. All right, we're both homers. We're both picking the Eagles uh, to come out of the NFC. All we're right. not homers. That's what Vegas is telling you, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're still when, loaded. When the I odds mean, are there. yeah, yeah. Like a lot of this stuff, you know, they're not going to have the same injury lock, but like they have, like. They're not just going into the season with the same team they had last year. You know, mm-hmm. they have different depth at uh, different spots and what can you withstand, what can't you withstand, all those things. So we'll get those predictions finalized in the next month. All right, I want to finish with this before you have to go. I was at Burlap and Bean, my go-to spot uh, for coffee this morning. There's one person in front of me, Zach. I'm, I'm the second person in line. I'm looking down at my phone. All of a sudden, I look up. And there's a woman, uh, she just stepped, she's right in front of me. She's on her phone taking an order from someone. All right, what do you want? You want this? Yeah, you know, whatever it is. And now all of a sudden I have to wait for her to get her coffee. In that situation, would you ever tell the, I don't know where she came from. If she came from outside, if she was, you know, off to the side looking at kind of the take home coffee beans and they have some merch there. Maybe she was looking at that, but she was not in between me and the first customer when I got in, got in line. And then all of a sudden she appears out of nowhere, walks up and is the second person in line. Would you in any circumstance say something to that person or is it never worth it? We're just like, whatever, I'll wait an extra uh, two minutes here. So once the order is made by her, uh, no, because what are you trying to accomplish? No, but before and the order, the order had it. So been. once like, she I lo- budges, like she so was standing think, there. Yeah, yeah. So once she budges, I, I probably, I'd probably say unless I was in a rush or something, maybe I, I, I'd say, excuse me, you know, there's especially if well, if I was the only person in line, I'd probably let her go, right? But if yeah. there's like three or four people behind me, and so therefore she's cutting the group, I would stand up for the group here, right? Um, okay. My wife would definitely say something right away. All right. Like my, <laughs> my, 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 my wife would, she would, she, and she would say something after the fact too, I, I think. Like if, if that person started their order, she would, she would say that. Um, to me, it's, it's, it's like, what are you trying to accomplish, right? If, if this works out uh-huh. for you, if, if you win, so to speak, you placed your order 30 seconds sooner and what like you're, you're restoring order to society i mean yeah. if, well, if she's in that much, in a society so, you can't just you yeah know, people so, can't just be budding left and right there are lines yeah so i would typically I, I i would bite my lip if i was the only one in line but if there were three or four people behind me i would i would politely say you know excuse me there's a line here yeah, see, I wasn't 100% sure what happened. So that was part of it. But okay. also, even if I was 100% sure, I don't think I would have said anything. But it did annoy me a little bit more that I think she was on her phone and that's why she didn't understand. Like, you know, I think she was distracted looking at the menu and just thought she could go right behind the person who was ordering and didn't even pay attention. So that was the part that irked me where I'm like, maybe I should say something, but I let it go. All right, here's the last one because I know you have to go. Uh, there was another woman in there. I think, I don't know if she was after me or before me, but we got our you know orders around the same time and she had a big order. Like I just had a coffee for myself. She had a smoothie, a couple, mm-hmm. she had a tray. And so of course I walk out the door. Of course, you know, I have impeccable manners. I open, you know, open the door, let her go through. She says, sure. thank you. Then we start walking. Our cars are parked right next to each other. Now in this situation, I've been there before. It's hard to figure out what to do with the big tray or the multiple beverages when you have to open your car door. You're talking about either putting it on top of your car, on the hood, on the ground, whatever, so that you can open the door. And I thought, you know what? I have a general like approach. Don't talk to strangers. It's the same as I tell my mm-hmm. kids. You have a very different approach. You'll talk to anybody. You're very outgo. You love talking to strangers. I've been around you and strangers and I'm just jaw dropping. I can't believe what I saw, but I thought <laughs> it would be a nice gesture for me to say like, do you want me to hold those so that you can open your car door? But the other part of me is like, I don't know. You know, you never want to be a creep. Like she's probably like, what? You have to yeah. like hold my drinks. You're not doing that. Should I have made any, I didn't make an offer. I'm just like, I, I can't do that. I don't have that in me. I'm going to my car. Good luck to her. <laughs> Hopefully the drinks don't fall in that situation. Should I say anything? Should I offer a helping hand to my fellow citizen? Or is that kind of like, all right, relax, buddy. Like, you know, I don't need your help holding these drinks. That situation does seem a little aggressive there, right? I like, think this so is, too. Yeah, yeah. This is this is not like giving up your seat on a on a. I mean, I I think okay. I think it's every person for themselves and open the. But if if they do seem like they're having trouble there, they're conflicted. 
I don't think you're out of line saying, can I help you there? Uh, you know, I, okay. I used to be a, 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 they call it a customer service attendant. I brought the carts inside that, you know, from outside, inside at the grocery store. And, and one of the things you do is, is you load the groceries for people. And um, sometimes people were offended when you offered. Other times uh, they really appreciated it. So, so it, it, it depends. And especially if the person had a kid in the car or something like that, I would definitely offer to help there. I don't think I knew that past job history from oh, you. Yeah. We're going to have to touch Clemens on that in the next we'll, episode. We'll do that next episode. Yeah. All right. There you go. All right. Uh, my wife was with you. She's like, no, well, if you would have done that, that would have been the weirdest thing ever. So <laughs> she was uh, with you. I didn't do it. If you're listening and say, no, you should have done that. I would have appreciated that. Let me know. All right. Zach's got to go. Listen to him on Birds with Friends. Read him on The Athletic. Zach, any other plugs you want to get in before we say goodbye? No, I appreciate that and look forward to having you on the show soon. We'll do that. ZB's the man. Read all his work in The Athletic. Thanks to Ace producer Cliff Augustine. Uh, I'm Shiel Kapadia. We'll be back later this week on the Ringer's Philly, Philly special. Talk to everyone then. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.com org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.